You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Thursday, July 13th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and you're riding home with me from the office in Dalton. I thought about going to the Chatsworth Pizza Hut today, but I stuck around here. So, uh, this is the first time I've been at work at the office all day, probably in three weeks. So I'm driving home from Dalton, and that's how long the show is going to take. I am still not at 100%, so I I can't, uh, I can't break out the... Uh, IFB style hard preaching and yelling and singing still but uh, I'm, I'm at the point where I can get through an episode <coughs> and today is a full episode today's show title is J.D. Greer and the Seniors and the Seniors is in quotation marks the Senior Pastors we're going to talk about that uh <coughs> I have a question in the inbox about the fourth commandment. And I made mention yesterday that I thought I had more questions in the inbox, but I don't. I actually ran out. I would have run out today had this one not come in. For some reason, I thought somebody else had sent one in that I hadn't answered. But the one from Jeff yesterday was the last one I had. If I have forgotten your question... I'm sorry, send it again. But I, I double-checked my email inbox, and I couldn't find any that I hadn't answered. But I've got one on the fourth commandment. That's remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for those of you who have to look it up. And as always, <coughs> we have the Bible chapter review. Matthew chapter 23. We start 23 today because we finished 22 yesterday. Here comes a yawn. <sighs> yeah, you work all day at the office. Yes, ain't no time for naps. You just gotta get it in. All right. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. That's as far as we're going today. Jesus is just basically shut the Pharisees up after they've been answering him all these que- asking him all these questions, but they can't answer his. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not <coughs> do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Jesus is calling the Pharisees hypocrites. Now notice what he does here. He says they put themselves in the chair of Moses. In other words, he's saying they're acting like Moses, acting like a judge, acting like they have authority, inasmuch as they are the teachers of the law. They're the ones who are studying the law, studying the scriptures, and they're telling you how to live according to the scriptures. So Jesus is telling the people, good, listen, live according to the scriptures. And if the Pharisees just heard that, they'd have been, oh, look at that. That's great. But Jesus went on. He says, but don't do like they do. Because they don't do like they say. They don't live it out. They say things and don't do them. Now, you know, number one, the first thing that comes to my mind reading this passage is the Pharisees and the scribes are sitting there teaching people the Bible. Here comes the, 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 the foretold, prophesied Messiah. And instead of worshiping him and getting behind him, they're rejecting him and challenging him. That's the first thing that comes to me. They don't really believe it. He says, they say things and don't do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they're unwilling to move so much as a finger. 
he's saying with their 613 laws, they put all of this on you to do. They've tied up a heavy burden and put it on you. But they don't want to carry that burden themselves. They're unwilling to move so much as a finger. Uh, uh, nowadays, we have the phrase, do as, do as I say, not as I do. You, you've heard us. You've heard in our culture, what do we say? Um, actions speak louder than words. The Pharisees' actions don't back up their words. And Jesus is calling them out on this, while at the same time, emphasizing to the people that they do need to do as Moses would have them do. Moses being the law, the, the giver of the scriptures. And with that, look at this, I'm not even to the freeway yet. With that, we'll end the Bible chapter review. Lord willing, tomorrow we'll tackle some more of this pericope because Jesus is not done condemning the Pharisees. But for now, let's move on to the inbox. You know what? I think this is the closest I've ever been geographically to answering a question to where the question asker is from. This question comes from Chattanooga, and I am pulling onto their freeway right now in Dalton, so I'm pretty close to Chattanooga. If you have a question about Christian theology and apologetics, you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. That is SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Or you can dial 470-315-0875. <coughs> the Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. Keep it short enough to memorize and tell me where you are from. This is Lauren in Chattanooga. And for the past four years, Lauren has been... Uh, she didn't say she... I don't remember if she said she was just going or a member, whatever. Laura, Lauren's been going to a Reformed church. She didn't grow up in a Reformed church, but she's been going to one. And she says that they seem to have a severely strict, or at least some people in churches like that, seem to have a severely strict adherence to the fourth commandment. And her question is, how strictly should we adhere to the fourth commandment? And she misses th mentions things like going grocery shopping on Sunday, uh, doing chores on Sunday, and even uh, discussing business on Sunday. So let me answer the question very simply. How strictly should we adhere to one of the Ten Commandments? Very, very strictly. I, I don't think anybody would ask this question. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm nitpicking in her words too much. But nobody <laughs> would say, how, how strictly should we adhere to... Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's like, well, pretty, really very strictly, but, you know, if, if you're on a business trip every, every, like, two weeks a year, you know, you, you can go out to uh, a strip club or pick up a prostitute. Or maybe you're going out on a business trip and, you, you know, you're in a hotel and you want to sleep with one of your attractive co-workers who happens to be traveling with you, with you, you know. That's fine. You're out of town. You know, the, the other 50 weeks a year, you're at home not cheating on your wife you know you, you're not really pursuing these other women you're just having fun so you know you're just, just you're pretty strictly adhering to to the commandment you see what i mean like you adhere to these commandments a hundred percent so yes i mean strict adherence is what we're what we're going for <coughs> so all ten commandments please adhere to them all strictly I think really what we're trying to get at here, and it's interesting that we're talking about the Pharisees who added extras and who would condemn Jesus, say, for healing on the Sabbath. Uh, I don't really, I don't know that she's getting at how strictly, I think she's getting at like, is it okay to do these things? So uh, let's rewind a little bit. Let's, let's explore the culture of the 
Reformed Christianity, talking about Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians. And what makes somebody Reformed, they, they adhere to Reformed Confession, which would be the London Baptist Confession, I think the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689, or the Westminster Confession. So, if you want to know why these people act like they do, go read their confessions. And I bet some of you listening to the show right now <coughs> are a part of a church that adheres to these confessions. I think mine does, actually. I'm technically a member of Fellowship Baptist Church in Sydney, Montana. I think we've adopted that. Anyway... There are, there are sections in these confessions that say, here's how we should treat the Sabbath day, and we're to rest from our labors and worldly amusement, amusements, it throws that in there. And if you go back into church history, uh, to say that going back to the pilgrims and the Puritans, why were people leaving England for religious freedom? Well, they had been offended, say, by the Church of England. The Church of England came out with something uh, called the Book of Sport. You can Google this a long time ago. And it, like, it was the things you're allowed to do on Sunday. Like, you can play cards on Sunday. And the Puritans were like, no, you can't play cards on Sunday. This is blasphemous. So they didn't want to be a part of it. <coughs> because they believed in being wholly devoted to God on the Sabbath day. So you'll see confessions of faith, including previous versions of the Baptist faith and message, that say the Christian uh, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath and it should be adhered to and people should rest from their labors and refrain from worldly amusements. I think that's the language of the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message. I think the 1963 and the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says uh, they should, people should observe the Sabbath in adherence to their Christian conscience, which is, which is like a really cop-out of a saying. I mean, we should do everything according to our Christian conscience. Like, what does that even mean? But in these reform traditions where you have these, these, these confessions, these statements, what develops is a culture of Sabbath-keeping that is more strict than the general evangelical population. Where you see people who not only won't work on Sunday, they, they, they won't go... <coughs> They won't go to the grocery store. When I was a kid, the grocery store was closed on Sunday. Uh, they won't mow their lawn. They won't do something like, and they won't even do their house household chores. Like they won't do a load of laundry. They won't. They won't dust. They won't fold clothes because they're saying this is a day of rest, and I'm going. I'm going to spend it rested, and like they won't. They won't watch a baseball game or a football game. That's a worldly amusement. So here in Atlanta, uh, let's say the Atlanta Falcons are playing at 4, 4 p.m. on a Sunday. NFL games happen at one and, generally at 1 and 4. The Falcons are playing at 4 p.m. There's plenty of Christians that will go to church and then drive down to Atlanta at 1.30 or 2 and go watch the Falcons. But Reformed people, or some of them, be like, nope, I'm not going to go to the Falcons game on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. I'm going to spend it <coughs> wholly in devotion to Him. So they get home from church at 1230, and they don't go anywhere until maybe the Sunday night church service. And some of them are like, they'll have cooked their food the night before. So I think that's what Lauren is getting at, is how, how strictly should we observe the Sabbath day? So from, from my standpoint, and I think this is a biblical standpoint, if somebody is convicted not to, not to mow their yard or grow grocery shopping or cook or whatever, then don't do it. Because they're doing that for the sake of the Lord, and who am I to judge another man's servant? That's what Paul says in Romans. 
I'm, who am I to judge another man's sermon? If if they don't want to go to the baseball game with me, if uh, you know they don't want to go to uh, Moe's burritos after Sunday, <laughs> whatever, <coughs> or after church, whatever. I'm not going to criticize them at that. But it could become, if you go to a church that's sitting there with the fourth commandment, eyeballing you while you're mowing your yard on Sunday, uh, it could become a matter of church discipline. Because somebody could say to you, you are sinning because you went to the grocery store on Sunday or because... You ironed the shirt, the button-up Oxford shirt that you were going to wear to work on Monday. You, you're, you're doing chores on the Sabbath. You're working on the Sabbath. It's like, well, how would you respond to that? If somebody was trying to keep you accountable and saying you're sinning because you're doing X, Y, Z on the Sabbath. Here you're violating the fourth commandment. And there, you know, there's a lot of debate on this because people say, well, Jesus is our Sabbath rest and we don't have to... That's what the Bible says. Jesus is our Sabbath rest and you know, we don't have to not work on the Sabbath anymore. And, and Paul says, one man holds one day above another. And by the way, Sabbath is Saturday. When you're talking about uh, the Ten Commandments, when they said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, that's Saturday, the sixth day of the week. We observe it on Sunday now. We call it the Lord's Day because that's the day the Lord rose from the dead. <laughs> and that we call that the Christian Sabbath. Anyway, that's fine. Just pointing that out. When you go to join a church, if you're joining a church that has the quote-unquote strict, bad word, bad term to use, strict adherence to the Sabbath, you know that going in. And I would think that's a discussion that's had among people who are coming into the church. Like, hey, you may have grown up at XYZ Baptist Church and you mow your yard on Sunday, but we don't do that because we say the day should be wholly devoted to the Lord and His service. So you're just supposed to come to church and then rest. What I think Lauren is really asking me, is, is it okay to do household chores on Sunday? I think that's you know is it okay to go grocery shopping and the answer is yes and I've covered this before on the show uh, the, the, the word in the scripture you can look this up melatol which translates you can translate into a couple different things but you shall not work you're talking about work on the Sabbath day work <coughs> <coughs> It's like, don't go to your job. You have to imagine. Well, I'll take me as my example. I am a CPA. My job title is Director of Financial Planning and Analytics, which is a desk job that I can do from anywhere on planet Earth. But it's my job to go Monday through Friday. I'm expected to be in the office or be in my desk chair at home working from around 8 to around 6. And I'm, I don't have a punch clock schedule. If I start work at 9, nobody says anything. If I start work at 7, nobody says anything. If I quit work at 4, nobody says anything. If I quit work at 6, nobody cares. Right? I don't have a set schedule. That's just me. Other people, you got to punch in and punch out. But that's just me. And that's my job. And sometimes, I do have to work on the weekend on a Saturday because we're busy. All right? That happens to lots of people. In the Old Testament times, nobody was punching a clock. There was no director of financial planning and analytics. Pretty much everybody was a farmer. And you worked from sunup to sundown. Think about Jesus and the parable of the, uh, the day laborers. He, he goes out at like, the, the guy in the parable goes out at like 6 in the morning. And then the last time he goes out is like 3 in the afternoon. And they, and they work till evening. And they're putting in like a 12-hour day. There was no 8-hour work day. There was no overtime back then. So people were working 6 days a week from sunup to sundown. Usually in an agrarian vocation. And what they're doing is they're creating wealth by creating crops. 
That's their job. Or they maybe it's not your farm. You work on somebody else's farm. And the scripture says, not only are you not going to work, but your servant, your slave doesn't work either. Nobody who works for you, who's employed by you, is going to work on the Sabbath day. And if aliens come to sojourn among you, they're not going to work on the Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. And it's tied to the creation cycle. Because on the seventh day, God rested. He created for six days, and then he rested. We know, ontologically speaking, God was not tired. We get tired. The Sabbath day is a gift that is given to us for rest. And we, we, we as Christians, what we're going to church that day. We're, we're observing the sacraments that day in the church service. Or the ordinances, sorry. Ordinances. There's two ordinances, not sacraments. They're ordinances. And by the way, London Baptist Confession, 1689. Do you think the Do you think the Puritans and, the, and those early Reformed? I mean, the Puritans weren't Baptists; they were pedo Baptists. But do you think those Baptists in 1689 were showing up to church at 9:15 for the A hour, and then they left church at 12 after the B hour, or do you think they went a little longer? Just pointing that out. <coughs> so my job is. Accountant. That's what I do. My job is not made, landscape man. Like th those are things I do at home. Some people, by the way, like to mow their yard. And by the way, I have a riding lawn mower. It's not really work to mow my yard. I just drive around. Okay. Uh, folding clothes. Could sit there and fold clothes while I'm watching the Braves on Sunday. You know, that's not what I do for a job. Those are the things that I just do around the house. So when I think of my job and remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, like I don't do my job on Sunday unless it's an emergency. And by the way, it's really hard to have an accounting emergency. If I was a maintenance guy, it would be different. If I was a nurse, it would be different. But <coughs> there's, <coughs> there's really no such thing as an accounting emergency. You know, maybe on April 14th, there's an accounting emergency. But I'm not that kind of accounting. I don't really do taxes. So in this agrarian society, you had all these farmers tending to their farm. What they were not supposed to do is go do farm type work on the Sabbath day, whatever their jobs were. I don't know what the daily household chores in ancient Israel were like. I, don't know, I imagine their houses were dirtier than mine. And these people were living out in the desert in tents too, so I don't know what the, well, I don't know what they I don't know what they do all day when when they're resting. But you got to imagine like these people were laboring. And I know some people today labor. I don't. So how do I strictly adhere to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? I go to church on Sunday. And then I don't work on Sunday. Just don't. Uh, <coughs> I'll tell you this. You can call me a legalist if you want to. My boss wrote me uh, one night. It was during budget season. We have this last-minute thing we had to get done. And it's my job, by the way, to make the entire budget for our company. Like, all, like we have all these, where I work, it's owned by private equity, and we have all these sub-companies that do different things. And I make the budget for every one of them. Okay. It's a lot of work at, in a little short amount of time. And my boss is a CFO, and she called me one night or texted me and said, hey, I need this done. And it was Sunday. And I waited till sundown to do it because the Jewish day ends at Sunday. I'm like, no way, I'm not working on Sunday. And I waited till sundown, and then I went and did the work she needed. That, it was an accounting emergency, though. <coughs> now, my ox, you, can, you know, a lot of people say, oh, my ox is in the ditch. Is it really? I don't see any reason in the Ten Commandments to not go grocery stop shopping or do household chores on Sunday. By the way, especially if you only work five days a week. 
Remember, these people work six days a week. I'll tell you this, if you work six days a week, like, uh, did I pass the old tufting factory yet? I passed field turf by now. It's June. They may be working five, six, seven days a week because it's busy season for them. Sometimes I would work there and they would schedule people seven days a week for 12 hours. If you work six days a week for 12 hours, <coughs> you're not going to want to. You're not going to want to dust and fold shirts on <coughs> on Sunday. You you you'll need to rest. The thing about the Sabbath day is is that it gave the there's a sat by the way there's a Sabbath year. It gave the land a rest. It gave the workers a rest. By the way, and it's here's the thing. It's not like some landowners say, well, I'm going to take the Sabbath day off, but my workers are going to work. No, even the lowest of the low guy got his rest. Okay, It's about giving people rest from trying to create wealth once a week. Because, listen, if you're trying to create wealth, and that's what the purpose of labor is, is to create wealth. If you're trying to create wealth seven days a week and you're skipping church, God's not your God, money is. So if somebody came to me and said, you're in sin for even, say, discussing business or going grocery shopping on Sunday, I, I would really say, I need you to sit down and make a scriptural case for that. And then I would say this, by the way, my children are hungry and I'm going to get them food. Are you going to tell me I'm sinning by getting my kids, my hungry kids food? Now they might back up and say, well, you know, you should have went grocery shopping the day before. Just like you were supposed to get double manna on Friday night so you didn't gather manna and quail on Saturday. That might be what they say. But somebody's going to have to sit and show me like how I'm laboring. Like what, what if I'm like trying to finish my basement? Some people like to do stuff like that. Like some people like to go to Home Depot with their wife and like, oh, let's get some wood and build something. And it comes down to what we'll call, what's the general equity of that law? It's to remember the Lord and rest instead of seeking after wealth and making that the number one thing in your life. <coughs> so if you've worked five days a week, I mean, what does it say? Six days you shall labor. Does that mean, does that mean I have to find something work to do on Saturday? Does, does this really, think about this. You be super literal about it. Like, okay. So six days you shall labor and one day you shall rest. Does that mean after I've worked in my secular employment Monday through Friday, now I've got to rest so I can't drive to Atlanta to see the Braves because I need to be working? Like this is a day I have to use this day now to mow my yard and, and do all my grocery shopping? And is grocery shopping work? In what way, if you look up that Hebrew word for work, in what way does that constitute grocery shopping? By the way, if you're a maid... Maybe don't dust on Sunday, but I'm not a maid. I have a maid. I don't. I don't. I don't dust. My maid does. I have one, but <coughs> she doesn't work on Sunday. So I'm gonna tell you this: Don't work seven days a week. If you want to adhere to the fourth commandment, don't work seven days a week in whatever your vocation or vocations are. And if somebody says, you shouldn't be doing this X, Y, Z, have them make you the case from Scripture. And let me add something in. Because I've noticed this in the London Baptist Confession. And I've, like I said, I noticed this in the, in the old Baptist faith and message. Like, why does a worldly amusement violate the Sabbath? Like, if... If I'm playing cards with my friends after church on Sunday, or if I... Or, if I go to the park and pitch my kid baseballs, like, how is that? How is that work? How is that a violation of the Sabbath? And I think what probably happened in history at some time is that the church wanted you all day Sunday. And recreation, especially as society got more wealth as you go through say the industrial revolution and you get away from farming where people aren't working six days a week like there's other things to do 
on like I have recreation time. I can go to the brave. People in ancient Israel weren't going to the braves. There were, there were no braves. You just you sat around and did nothing in the desert. That's what you did. But now like you can go to a card game, you can go to the movies, uh, you can go to you can go play soccer. You you guys who listen uh, to this show know that my kids are on some travel soccer teams. And uh, they play on Sunday, and if the game's at 3 p.m. in Cartersville, we go. And we, we go to church, we have a nice family time after after church, and then we go enjoy the soccer game. And, yeah, we're running around getting sweaty, but that is restful for us. We enjoy that. Is that a, a worldly amusement? I guess you could say it is, but, like, it's not work. If the game or the trip conflicts with church, we don't go. And you say, is that the fourth commandment? I really say that's Hebrews 13. We're not for, or is it Hebrews 10, 10, 13? Do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. <coughs> so you didn't ask about the worldly amusements part. <coughs> I just threw that in there because uh, worldly amusements can be a thing that competes with church. And like I just mentioned, just because we don't go to those soccer games doesn't mean other people don't. And I know people on the team who would go to church if they weren't at that Sunday game. And they choose to prioritize the game over church. In my own church, I would hold someone to church discipline over that. I would. And I would, I would make the case, and I think it would be a very easy case to make, but I guess it comes down to this. you got to define, define work. Show me how what I'm doing is my work. So, Lauren, thanks for that. Thanks for that question. Let me add this in before I finish. If you feel guilty about doing it, don't do it. Uh, I, I try to teach my kids some form of Sabbath observance. So they what they have a uh, they have these little beads, this bracelet making kit that they bought, and they like to sit around making bracelets. And then then they walk around the neighborhood and bother my neighbors and try to sell them. And they're little cute kids. Like my my daughters are gorgeous, and it's people just want to people just want to give them stuff. So I'm sure you know they they make these little worthless bracelets and then they go sell them for five dollars and I think that's great and they're enterprising and the other day they're like well can we go walk around the neighborhood and do this I said nope it's Sunday you're not going to go you're not going to go engage in commerce on Sunday now they don't have jobs they didn't do anything Monday through Friday but I'm trying to <coughs> drill in their heads that Sunday is a special set-apart day and we're not going to work that day. Are there people out there who go to church on Wednesday instead of Sunday because they work on Sunday? Yes. They may work in an extrusion plant. In addition to being the director of financial planning and analysis, which I mean, people hear that they don't even know what it is. Like, what the heck is that? All right, so that's a very nebulous-sounding job title for making reports. I'm also the plant controller of our extrusion factory. We never turn the extruders off, right? There, there's somebody always there. But we have people who work four days a week or three days a week in their shift. You know, we're not working people seven days a week, but the extruders on. Somebody is on that Sunday schedule, obviously. That guy can't go to church right then. I hope that dude goes to church on Wednesday or Sunday night if he's a Christian. One man holds one day above another. All right, thank you for that question. Uh, that is, It's a good question. I know I've covered it before, but it's a question that needs to be covered. And there might be a lot of people at XYZ Baptist Church who don't know that that's how Reformed people roll. That... They live different when it comes to what they do on Sunday. And good for them for taking the Sabbaths seriously. All right. J.D. Greer and the senior pastors. <coughs> so something I haven't had a chance to talk about 
because I got pneumonia and didn't do any podcasts, was the law amendment at the Southern Baptist Convention. So I did not think Rick Warren was going to get voted out of the Southern Baptist Convention by the messengers. I just I was like, nope. I was shocked that the credentials committee kicked him out. And then I was like, he, he's, you know, he'll, he'll win 60-40. He's Rick Warren. The, the convention's celebrity obsessed. You know, he says he saved a million people. And uh, I, I went to oh, an anniversary reception for some friends of mine at church, and the pastor was there. It was like the day before he was going to leave, and I said, well, you know, do you think they'll vote out Rick Warren? He said, yes. And I was shocked that he said it. And I was like, well, all right, maybe he knows something I didn't. <coughs> Brother Kyle, uh, I think he's like a second VP at the Georgia Baptist Convention. Like Brother Kyle knows people. He used to work at the seminary. He's friends with Paige Patterson, I think. So, I mean, he, he knows things. Uh, so, <coughs> I was like, well, if Brother Kyle says that, I bet he's right. He, might, he must know. And he knew. Because 90% to 10%, Rick Warren got beat. But e- equally, if not more surprising to me, was this law amendment that was getting added to the SBC Constitution, which has to be voted on twice with a two-thirds majority in it. And it handily passed in New Orleans, and it said, uh, to be considered in friendly cooperation, I'm paraphrasing, to be considered in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, no woman at your church can have the title pastor. If you call a woman a pastor, elder or overseer, you're not in friendly friendly, uh, cooperation. Because there had been some debate that if a church (coughs) had a female pastor of any sort, whether quote-unquote senior or not, well, they could still be in uh, friendly cooperation because they still closely align with the Baptist faith and message. It's just one thing they don't agree with. They agree with the other ones. And there was debate over that. And some people are like, open and shut case. You can't be in close alignment with us if you're rejecting Article 6 and having female pastors just can't do it. Rick Warren was like, come on, I agree with 99%. It's just this one thing I don't agree with. So the purpose of the law amendment was in John Luke Picard voice, this far, no further. (coughs) And it passed. And it was... Because you got to be clear about this. Some people say like, oh, well, that just means senior pastor. You can have youth pastors and children's pastors and associate pastors and music pastors through women, it's just a senior pastor. So that amendment does away with all ambiguity. (coughs) And it says, constitutionally, if you have anybody with the title pastor at your church who's a woman, you're out. Now, if I was in the Southern Baptist Convention, would I support that? Yes. You guys know that I think the Southern Baptist Convention is past the tipping point. So the purpose of this this program, this discussion, is not to say, oh, the Southern Baptist Convention has done the right thing, and you guys need to get out there and fight to do the right thing next year. The Southern Baptist Convention is just as celebrity and numbers obsessed and money obsessed, and uh, what's the right word here? Uh watered down as it was before. Even though they've done the right thing. What I really want to address is the idea of the senior pastor, because I think this gets in the way of things. And I'll do it by way of a critique of an article J.D. Greer published. Now, you guys know that I think J.D. Greer is contemptible. I think James Merritt is contemptible. I think Steve Gaines is contemptible. I think Ed Litton is contemptible. And what do all these guys have in common? They're former presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. So there's this famous picture of Ed Litton, J.D. Greer, Steve Gaines, James Merritt, and Bryant Wright, all former presidents of the SBC at the mic in their little cabal, like trying to get people to say, we need to have a study committee on this. Don't don't pass it right into the Constitution right away. (coughs) Because when you're at the top, I'm just asking this question. If you're at the top and your popularity and book sales and 
and power and influence is fed by the people on the bottom. Do you want anybody on the bottom to get out of your organization, female pastor or not? No, of course not. You want the tent to be big because you're at the top of the tent. And you guys know, what year did J.D. Greer win Pulpit and Pins Worst Christian? All right, 2022 was Johnny Hunt. 2021 was Al Muller. I think it was either 2020 or 2019. You can go to his Twitter account and you can see he put his little trophy for Worst Christian of the Year on his Twitter. <coughs> so you guys know I just I think he's contemptible. Pre, uh, pre, uh, he's the senior pastor of the Summit Church. He published an article arguing against this law amendment in the most deceptive reasoning that I could come up with. Because here's the thing. He said, I'm a complementarian and I don't have any theological problem with the law amendment. It's a constitutional one. This is what he says. I'm a complementarian. Women can't be elders, pastors, overseers. I don't have any theological disagreement. And for somebody to say something like that, I don't have a theological problem. I have a constitutional problem. So that what's wrong with you? Is theology not queen of the sciences? Like, if something is theologically right, it can't be wrong in some other way. Like in the way sometimes we say, well, something's legal, but it's not ethical. Abortion's legal, but it's not ethical. So just because something's legal doesn't make it right, morally right. Or you could say just because something um, is illegal. Like if they made a law that said you can't worship on Sunday. Well, I'm going to worship on Sunday because that's the ethical thing to do. But if something is theologically okay, it, it that's it. But J.D. Grew was like, well, I don't like putting this in the Constitution. It ties the hands of the Credentials Committee. The, the Credentials Committee needs to ha have its hands tied because it's a, a committee of Southern Baptist yes-men you, you know, sycophants. Okay? That's what it is. Sycophants. And the big, the big tent president types like Greer like to have these sycophants who can, you know, have their cake and eat it too. He, he doesn't want their hands tied where they said, nope, uh, we have to kick them out. We, we must. But that was his argument. And the, the, the way he opened his little blog, and you can go read it, it was deceptive. He's like, Nancy Pelosi said we need to pass Obamacare, but we don't have to read it. He's basically saying, we're doing the same thing. Because he knows his base hates Obamacare. That's a deceptive argument. That has nothing to do with the law. The law amendment's not hard to understand. If you have a woman pastor at your church, you're kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention. You're an autonomous local church. You can call your staff people grand poobahs. You, you can call them uh, Jedis if you want to. But if you call a woman a pastor, you're gone. It's very. It, it's not confusing. It's. It is not as Byzantine as the Obamacare law. <clears throat> okay. And then J.D. Greer went on to make a point, and he said, "Well, there's a lot of churches that they won't have female deacons because they treat deacons like elders, and the deacons essentially function as elders." Like, okay, you're right, J.D. Greer. There are a lot of Southern Baptist churches where the deacons function as elders, and that's wrong, and that has nothing to do with the law amendment. But what he, what he, I think the point he's trying to make is, well, you know, people misname things all the time. And then he got down and started arguing, well, there's some churches that might have a woman who they call the youth pastor, but they, they've just mislabeled them. The staff person has the wrong name. In other words, the church says she's a pastor, but she's not really a pastor according to J.D. Greer. And that's the thing when it comes down to the senior pastor, and that's what I'm getting at. <coughs> These mega men like J.D. Greer, they see themselves as the pastor and the cadre of people who work at their church with the, the title pastor, like the executive pastor, the worship arts pastor, the creative pastor, the missions pastor, the middle school pastor, the high school pastor, the children's pastor. They, those people have the title pastors, but they're not really pastors. Not in the eyes of the senior pastor. So what you will find at a lot of churches, churches like J.D. Greer's and others, is you will find that there are elders 
who are elected from among the laity. And then there's a hired gun, a hired man, who's the vocational pastor, who's, who's the, they, they say he's the senior pastor, and that's who are really the elders at the church. They have the authority. And anybody, any of the other quote-unquote pastors who work there are just lackeys of the senior pastor. Where in Scripture do you find this? The answer is nowhere. I've said a million times on this show, nowhere in Scripture do you see the youth pastor or the music pastor. It's just pastors. All you have are elders, overseers, pastors. All you have. That's the office. There's no senior. There's no junior. Blah, blah, blah. But effectively, what you have are, for lack of a better term, lackeys. And that's okay. I've been a lackey. <coughs> when I worked uh, in the information systems department at Marist, my, my title was assistant to the manager of information systems. So what was my job? Answer help desk emails. Oh, your computer doesn't work. I'm going to come reboot it because you, you can't figure out how to reboot a computer. I'll, let me do it. The school's got to pay me $40,000 a year to come reboot your computer. Let me tell you this. People in education can't do. And what they can't do is computers. So let me, be, let me bring you an ink cartridge. Let me plug in your smart board again. All right. Helpdesk at Maris.com. I'm coming. Seth Dunn, assistant to the manager of information systems. And there was another assistant to the manager of information systems, Chris, who worked in the office with me. And that was our job. And I was like, can I be the assistant manager instead of assistant to the manager? Like Dwight Schrute in the office. And, and my boss, Steve, Steve Hecker, he said, you're a lackey. It's <laughs> like, that's what you are. You're my lackey. I was like, yeah, I know was. I'm his lackey. All right. And you know what? Ten years later... I'm a CPA. I got a master's. I'm the director of financial planning. And you know what? I'm the CFO's lackey. That's what I am. If she tells me to do something, I do it. If she told me to go pick up her lunch, I would do it. I work for her. Okay? Uh, but, you know, she has not asked me to go pick up her lunch yet um, because it, I make more than $40,000 a year, and that would not be a good use of the company's time. Uh, but I, she has a job. I want you to imagine this, all right? There's a CFO. At my company, at every company. And the reason there are other accountants is because there are things that are not worth her time to do in the accounting function. So there's the low level, the lowest level clerk, and then a staff accountant, and there's various levels of controllers, and there's directors, and there's a CFO. And you can, that's at my organization, that's at every accounting organization. You know? <coughs> And the clerks are doing clerical work. And I'm going to tell you this. The moment the computer can do it automatically, the clerks will be gone. That's for any business. And one day when artificial intelligence can do the work of the director of financial planning and analysis, he'll be gone. Okay? And if the computer could do the work of the CFO, she'd be gone. But basically... In any kind of business, there's a boss who has lackeys who do the things the boss doesn't have the time to do because the boss is managing. And you guys know that. So here I am. I, I am someone's lackey, and I've been someone's lackey my whole career. There's no shame in it. I got a good job. I like being that person's lackey. But don't you dare... Tell a man he's a pastor when he's effectively somebody's lackey. My friend Scott Morgan. Pastor Scott Morgan. He was on staff at Snellville Baptist Church, Cross Point Church, and First Baptist Church of Woodstock. Three of the biggest Southern Baptist convention churches around here. Worked for James Merritt. Worked for Johnny Hunt. Pastor Scott. You know, you know who Pastor Scott worked for? Not the church. His boss was James. His boss was Johnny. He was a lackey. It said he was the pastor, but he was really just <clears throat> the staff person of the senior pastor. I'm going to tell you this. I could never, this is just me, this is my conscience. I could never take a pastoral role at a church. 
hang my framed seminary degree on the wall. Hang my license to preach on the wall. Sit down at my desk with my logo software. Put my big Bible down. Pastor Seth on the door. I could never, ever have myself referred to as a senior pastor. My conscience wouldn't allow it because there's no such thing in Scripture. There's no hierarchy of pastors on Scripture because the minute you become the senior pastor, it means that some other pastor is the the junior pastor and you're over him in some way. Not that he has a different area of responsibility, but that he reports to you in a top-down structure. And that's how you end up with men like J.D. Greer who sneer down their nose at this other church and say, well, that's not really a pastor. They just named it wrong. How dare you tell them that that's not a pastor? Because what he really means is not that that woman who the website says is the youth pastor isn't a pastor. What he really means is there are no youth pastors who are really pastors. Because they are just underlings who report to seniors like J.D. Greer. He is high above them and they do what they... Do you get it? Do you understand that? And let me go back to what I I mentioned before (coughs) about churches who have the lay elders elected and then ex officio the senior pastor is is their equal when they're voting on things and making decisions for the church but like the associate pastor's not the music pastor's not they're, they're un, they report in the, the hierarchical structure to the senior pastor and he can like fire him if he wants to and I'm just going to give an example from here in town in my life. This is not a critique. This is an observation and an example. I went to the, I went to the website at First Baptist today. And because I got the email blast and it said elder elections are happening soon, like this week or next week. <coughs> <coughs> so there are the elders who are being elected by the church. These are the lay people who are not they're not gonna they're not gonna leave town and take a job in another church. These are these are the elders the church is electing, okay? That's good. The church has elders and deacons. That's right. But then if you go to the website, it has at the top pastoral leadership. And there's Brother Kyle, the senior pastor. And beside him is Brother Stephen, who is the associate pastor of ministries. That's pretty broad. Then there's John, the worship pastor. And then there's some guy, I didn't even know he existed. I forget his name. He's the missions pastor. I don't know what he manages. And below them, on the website, it says uh, something like uh, life stages. And this is where it gets interesting. There's Lisa, the children's director. There's Jamie, the preschool uh, director. Love Jamie, by the way. She's great. Like I don't know if everybody loves Jamie. I think everybody does love Jamie. I did. Like she's so great with the kids. Love her. Um, <coughs> then there's Danny. He is the pastoral care pastor. When I think he take he goes looks after the old people. And uh, then there's this. What's this guy? He's a new guy. Jason, the student pastor. And then there's all number of little associate people who or ministry assistants, or whatever their titles are. But there's a children's, I mean like a a preschool age life stage. It's a woman. Her title is director. There is a children's age, like, you know, elementary age, I guess, director. That's a woman. And quite frankly, don't we want these people to be women? Do we want men lurking around our kids? Do you really? Yeah, come on. And uh, why? <clears throat> There's a guy I went to seminary with. I'm not going to name him. I'm friends with him on Facebook. And I met him at seminary once. He's like, I'm a children's pastor. And he was the gayest, most effeminate person like, I've ever been around. Like, this, well, actually, the second most effeminate person I've ever been around in seminary. And he's married to a woman. And, you know, so he's not like an out-and-out homosexual, but I remember thinking, like, who hired you as a children's pastor? You seem gay. 
And then we've all met these people before. And when I worked at Maris, there was guys I'm like, dude, you're gay. Like, and you're not even trying to hide it by your mannerisms, but you're gay. <coughs> and you're a priest teaching kids. Anyway. Those are these life stage people, all the way up to the youth pastor. Who would I say his name was? Jay. He's new. I'm, I'm, it's not like, well, how do, you, how do you not know the youth pastor's name? He's new! Jason is his name. <coughs> now, the two men have the title pastor. The two women have the title director. Their jobs are the same. They're taking care of a group of kids who aren't, you know, or, or an age group. But what J.D. Greer is saying is, hey, Jason, I know your business card says pastor. And I know you get up with a Bible and preach in front of people sometimes. Um, and I know the autonomous local church at which you're employed as a staff person says you're a pastor, but you're not. Because the real pastor is the senior pastor, and he's equal with these elected elders from the congregation, and all you other guys aren't pastors. Not really. You guys all work for him in an org chart. If I had never seen the org chart at First Baptist, I would imagine that it's Kyle and all these guys work for him. That's what I, I don't know that to be the case, and I'd say that's typical of lots of churches. If I was made Pope tomorrow, I'd say all of these titles are gone. And then I would sit there and start firing age group people because I don't even believe in having these directors and stuff. That's just me. All right? And I'm not in charge. Now, I've said that before. And that's not at that church. That's at any church. I'd be like, get rid of these directors. Uh, get rid of, you know, not all of them because we need somebody to look after the kids. Uh, get, stop. Get rid of these. We're not going to have a youth pastor. We're not going to have that title. Blah, blah, blah. We're just going to have elders. <coughs> but we know that's not what we see. And by the way, I'm driving around my neighborhood right now because uh, I didn't get to finish the show. And what spurred J.D. Greer to write this? What I think is a snooty letter that, you know, he re sneers down his nose that these people aren't real pastors. I know, you're just calling them that. Well, the NAAF wrote a letter to Bart Barber, president of the SBC, taking issue with the law amendment. What is the NAAF? It is the National African American Fellowship of the SBC. So what you'll have is predominantly black churches that have dual alignment with the Southern Baptist Convention and maybe uh, one of the black Baptist associations. Like the, I think the NBC, National Baptist Convention, I think they're mainly black. <clears throat> Which, by the way, tend to be more liberal. And what they said is, well this is going to get a lot of black churches kicked out <coughs> because a lot of black churches have female youth pastors under the authority of the senior pastor. And you'll hear this excuse or justification brought up a lot. Well, this woman is preaching under the authority of the senior pastor. Or this woman is a youth pastor, but she's under the authority of the senior pastor. Like, oh, where in the Bible does it say the quote-unquote senior pastor has the authority to just do whatever he wants and let other people be pastors who are not qualified? Saying it's done under the authority of some guy doesn't mean it's right. The Bible makes things right. And, here, and this is where it starts to be not surprising because J.D. Greer linked this letter because you, you've got the SBC bending over backwards to stay diverse. Because staying diverse makes you big. It's not them saying, well, we want more black people and Hispanic people because the kingdom is going <coughs> to, the kingdom of God is people of every nation and every color. No, they're like, well, we want their money. The bigger, the better. And there's, this is one of those things, like, I got to say it. I'm not trying to sound racist, but black churches are messes. By and large, it's a mess. They're political. They're filled with women in pastoral roles. And the pastor is treated like a little G-God at the black church. Black church culture in America. I don't know how it got there, but that's what it is. So if you go, generally speaking, to a black church, there will be chairs on stage. And if you're a pastor, white or black, and you go sit in a service 
and they see you and you're a pastor from another church, they will bring you up on stage and sit you in the chair in a place of honor because the pastor is Rick Flair at a black church. He is the man. Clothing allowance, car allowance, what he says goes. Like you people who come up in the in the white tradition where the 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 uh, the council of deacons like runs one pastor after another out and acts like they own the place, that ain't how it is in the black church. The black pastor is the man. His wife is the first lady and she might have a car allowance too. It's a different world, man. It's just a different world. <laughs> and for whatever reason, women in leadership are more prominent. So you have more black churches who have female pastors. Well, you know what? Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's against the Baptist faith and message. But now that it disproportionately affects one race, this law amendment, now the wokeism in the Southern Baptist Convention, well, what happened? All the black people will be gone. No, listen. They could just change the titles of the people. Do you understand how simple this is? Like I told you about my aunt's church, Sunrise Baptist Church in Noonan. They had a women's children's pastor on the website. And I said, I'm not going there. And my aunt was, oh, she's not really a pastor. I'm like, no, I'm not going there. If the convention called and said, we're going to disfellowship you because you have a woman pastor, they'd say, oh, what are you talking about? What's on your website? I bet at least half the churches would say, okay, hold on. I mean, you do it. this is how fast you can change a website. <laughs> now it says director of ministry. Is that okay? Yeah, you're fine. Hang up. Here's the real situation. <clears throat> We've created a bunch of faux pastors because we've created all these staff positions and we've started calling the men in these positions pastors when they're really just staff people who get paid to babysit some age group and they're really not pastors, but you call them that. And now people said, well, we'll call women that too. And the only real pastor is the senior pastor. And you've watered down the office of pastor. So much so now that you have senior guys like J.D. Greer saying, oh no, you're not really a pastor. You've named it wrong. So in a way, he's right. But here's the thing. They say they're a pastor. You can't say that. Words mean things. <clears throat> and you know what it is we need to get rid of? It's not that we need to stop calling the youth pastor, the youth pastor, and the music pastor, the music pastor, and the associate pastor, the associate pastor. It's that we need to stop calling the senior pastor the senior pastor. Call him the teaching elder. Right? Think, think about churches who have elders, and they say, this guy is the teaching elder, but what? he's really the, the hired guy from out of town, the employee. And but <coughs> Teaching is the verbal noun that you're they're using to describe him that's the modifier teaching pastor it's a participle this is the teaching pastor it describes his role it doesn't put him over anybody the minute you call this somebody the senior pastor it's not talking about his age it's talking about that he's over other pastors in a employment hierarchy and that now you have created a lesser pastor who's just a staff person and that guy's loyalty by the way is not to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ it's to his boss for whom he works cause that he's a lackey and pastors don't need to be lackeys and this is spoken by Seth Dunn CPA lackey So who's, who's got the real problem of pride? Is it the lackey? No. It's the guy who has the nerve without one shred of scriptural grounding to call himself the senior pastor. All these guys on all these websites who say they're the senior pastor need to stop doing it. Stop it. And I bet a lot of them have never thought of it before. 
But here's they strive for it. Do you understand? They strive for this. Th- think of where I am in my career. I'm an accountant. I'm a director in the finance department. I used to be a staff accountant when I started. And now I'm you know, like, like one heartbeat from the top. I work for the CFO. I am at a high level. Maybe one day I will be a CFO or a VP of finance. I don't know. But if I never do it, I'm successful because I like what I do and I'm at this high up job. I'm pretty high up there. Okay. And that's good. I, I, I should want to be pretty high up there and progress in my career. But you've got guys trying to become the next J.D. Greer, the next senior. The guy, they've made a career out of it. And when they made it a career, who was it John Piper tried to say brothers were not professionals? They made a career out of it. Of course you got an org chart of a bunch of lesser people, of a bunch of lackeys. Pastors who aren't really pastors in the eye of the senior pastor. Some of these guys, you can call this fleshly, but I see these guys on Twitter, and I see these guys walking around, these senior... By the way, I'm not, I don't want to do this to Kyle. <laughs> but I see these guys going around saying they're senior pastors. I just want to be like Stone Cold Steve Austin and look at them like, yeah, I'm on your side, and then kick them in the gut and give them a Stone Cold Stunner, and the crowd goes nuts because I just find them so contemptible. So I'm not saying all the senior pastors out there, I hold you in contempt, but I do hold your title of senior pastor in contempt. It's not in the Bible. And you pew sitters who listen to this show need to go to your business meetings, hold up your Bible, and say, show me senior pastor. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to sethdunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.